0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Empowered Patient Series, where we take a deep research guided dive into your health questions and help empower you to make your own health choices. So today we're covering a huge topic and a very popular topic, um, which is the ketogenic diet. So um, if you're on Facebook or social media or Instagram, you've probably seen a wide variety of butter coffee pictures and bacon-covered everything, and this has commonly become associated with the ketogenic diet. And there's a lot of different opinions circulating out there about the ketogenic diet. Um, Some people have seen great success, some people not so much. And today we're gonna cover a lot of that gray area in between so that you as an individual can make an empowered choice. But the ketogenic diet isn't as modern as we might assume, so let's take a look at the history first. So, ketogenic diets are actually referenced way back into Hippocratic texts, the times of Hippocrates, and even in Biblical texts. And it was not used in the way that we use it today, again with bacon-covered things and uh, butter and coconut oil and things like that. Actually, it was induced via a prolonged fast. And if we take a look across history and society and various cultures and religious practices, we often see somewhere in there the practice of fasting. So fasting is a whole other topic, but um, just briefly, we've seen that fasting can be a beneficial therapeutic intervention for many health conditions, and one of them includes epilepsy. So this is where most of the research on the ketogenic diet has been done. So initially, fasting was used in epileptic patients, primarily pediatric epileptic patients, where medication was not successful in reducing seizures. And while they saw great success, clearly a prolonged fast has its negative consequences, especially in a child, such as stunted growth bone loss and a whole host of issues. So this was the conundrum that healers were faced with at the time, until in 1921, a research paper came out discussing the fact that ketogenesis could not only be induced via a fast, but also in a diet with, and I quote, a proportionate too much amount of dietary fat and proportionately too low amount of dietary carbohydrate. And how this became known was that In a fast, we saw these chemicals arise in the body and utilized by the body, namely beta-hydroxybutyric acid, acetic acid, and acetone, which are collectively known as ketone bodies. And we saw these same chemicals appear in a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet. So this was huge news, and researchers at the Mayo Clinic implemented this on a trial basis in pediatric epileptic patients and saw great success. And not only were seizures reduced, other side effects of the epilepsy, but because they could eat food, normal growth and development was able to continue, which was hugely important. Now, that's not to say that there weren't side effects. Some of the side effects reported are chronic constipation, gastrointestinal distress, still some cases of stunted growth, um, bruising more easily, increased risk of infection, and even acute pancreatitis and death. So it's something to be taken seriously, but because these patients were experiencing seizures to the point that their lives were greatly halted, it felt like something to be considered or perhaps a better alternative. Now part of the problem was that the diet had to be severely restricted and included primarily long chain fatty acids as a dietary fat source. So the original diet consisted of one kilogram of protein per body weight, 10 to 15 grams of carbohydrate per day, and the rest of the dietary sources coming from dietary fat. But in the 1960s, it was discovered that medium chain fatty acids or medium chain triglycerides as we know them to be like MCT oil, more readily convert in the body to ketones. And because of this, by incorporating MCT oil into the diet in great amounts, up to 60% of the diet, these patients could actually increase the amount of protein they ate and increase the amount of dietary carbohydrate they ate without kicking the body out of ketosis. So they were able to stave off the seizure symptoms while continuing to grow and develop. So this was huge and extremely beneficial from a medical and therapeutic standpoint. And this continued to be researched and explored until about the 1960s and 70s when new anticonvulsant medications came on the scene and the ketogenic diet sort of dissipated away. That was until the mid-1990s when a prominent Hollywood producer's son was experiencing medication-resistant epilepsy. And he looked through the literature saw a reference to the ketogenic diet, took his son to Johns Hopkins where it was implemented with a whole medical team, and they saw amazing results. The young son stopped having seizures and normal growth and development was able to continue at a rapid pace. And so medical intrigue was piqued by this case. And this was also the time of the Atkins diet coming onto the scene and taking a low carbohydrate approach for things like weight loss and metabolic regulation. So this is where a lot of the research started was in the late 1990s and early 2000s and has continued from there. And as we take a look across uh, reviews of the literature from this time forward, what we see is when it comes to weight loss, at least in samples studied such as obese and overweight patients, or those experiencing things like high cholesterol or other blood lipid markers, and those experiencing metabolic dysregulation like insulin dependent or non-insulin dependent type two diabetes is that in the short term, it appears to have some favorable effects, namely weight loss, fat loss, improved total cholesterol to HDL ratio, increased HDL, Decreases in some cases of LDL, decreases in triglycerides, and more favorable fasting blood glucose and insulin sensitivity markers. But this was not always the case. There were some variations, and some of them included unfavorable increases in lipid biomarkers and failed glucose tolerance tests. So the primarily consistent outcome was weight loss and increased fat loss. So if we're taking a look at the ketogenic diet for weight loss, is it magical? Does it have some mystical property that other diets don't? Probably not, but in order to understand this better, let's take a brief look at what happens in the body when we eat and how our body metabolizes food and turns that into energy. It's a process that we call cellular respiration. So in this instance, let's say that we ate a meal that had some dietary sources of carbohydrate, some dietary fats, and some protein, a combination of all three macronutrients. So the body's going to start breaking this down first in our salivary enzymes, and then it'll continue through a whole chain of events that we know as cellular respiration. And the body's primary goal is to turn that food into fuel, into a usable energy source for all of the cells and tissues and functions in our bodies. So the most ready form of energy in our bodies is glucose. So as we break that down first, primarily from dietary carbohydrates, and then at a slower rate, dietary fats and dietary proteins, um, the body will immediately disperse the glucose to all the places that need it at that time. Then if there's some glucose left over and our blood glucose levels are still higher than our body likes to be at homeostasis, Insulin is going to be triggered from the pancreas to come in and take that extra glucose and put it into forms that we can store for later use as energy. Primarily, it will go through um, the process of creating glycogen that can be stored in our muscle tissue and can also be stored in the liver in small amounts. And then fatty acids can be converted into triglycerides that can be stored in our adipose tissue, our fat tissue, for later use as energy as well. So the body goes on doing its thing let's say a few hours go by and of course this is going to depend on a whole host of factors that create our metabolic rate but at some point in time our blood glucose levels are going to start to dip and the body really likes to maintain homeostasis so it's going to begin to look for alternative fuel sources if we don't eat any food it's going to have to go into those storage tanks that i just mentioned It's going to go into our muscle tissue and start breaking down the glycogen that's stored. It's going to go to the liver for the glycogen that's stored. And if this continues, if the fast is prolonged, it'll start tapping into our fat tissues and turning that into a form of fuel that can be used. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about burning fat for fuel. Now, our body can begin at this point, if the fast is prolonged, to produce ketones via gluconeogenesis. So that's turning fatty acids into glycerol, for example, and turning amino acids into lactate, into sugars that our body can use. So why do we need to turn it into sugar? Well, there are some processes in our body that absolutely rely on glucose. They have to have glucose to function. And one of them is our brain. So we know that our brain is mega to life and survival, and our body is going to prioritize the things that keep us alive. So we turn these fatty acids and amino acids into a form that the brain can use for energy. Our body can also use them for energy. And the liver begins to produce these chemicals that I mentioned earlier called ketone bodies. So this is when we know that the body is in a state of ketosis as the concentration in our blood of ketones rises. Although, this is not always an indication of um, the state of ketosis that we're in because if you've been doing a ketogenic diet for a long time and your body is efficiently metabolizing ketones, blood volume of ketones may actually go down because your body's efficiently using them, okay? So this continues, and of course, if we're not eating any food, our body continues to break down tissue. Muscle tissue and keep in mind that some of our vital organs like our heart is made of muscle tissue So this is not such a good situation But in the case of survival our body is going to do its best just to keep us alive As I mentioned earlier, we can also eat a diet that's high in dietary fat relatively low in carbohydrate and Moderate amounts of protein and the body will remain in this state now the primary mechanism of action of a ketogenic diet is thought to be the increased satiety from increased dietary fats. So for a long, long time, the trend was to eat a low-fat diet, right? And we saw that low-fat diets were supposed to help us with things like heart disease and obesity. However, we've seen that a high-fat diet can do some of these things as well. So it's not clear which is ideal or if there is an ideal diet, Um, but it appears that the common factor among all of these things that have health promoting benefits is eating a diet that is rich in whole natural foods and relatively low in processed foods, especially processed sugars. So getting back to the ketogenic diet, um, it is thought that eating an increase in dietary fats we get fuller faster, and maybe you've tried this. Maybe you've tried incorporating more avocado, or coconut oil, or nuts, or seeds, and you notice that you can eat less, and you feel full faster than eating carbohydrates, for example. And so this is thought to be the primary mechanism of action, which is just that we're eating less calories overall, so of course we're gonna lose some weight. That is not the only mechanism of action. Others have theorized. One of them is that ketone bodies have an appetite-suppressing effect of their own regulating appetite and um, hunger hormones um, uniquely. So that's another thing to consider. But it's likely that it's not a magical fix. And I think this is really important to consider, that no one diet offers a quick fix solution. Everything comes with pros and cons and everything needs to be considered on an individual basis. So it appears that if one is pretty far along on the obesity continuum, that eating a ketogenic diet, at least in the short term, might be beneficial. And if one has some metabolic regulation, in the short term, a ketogenic diet may be beneficial. But it is always helpful to be talking to your healthcare practitioner or your health support team because for some individuals, it has the opposite effect. Uh, negative consequences like increased cholesterol or increased triglycerides. Um, So it's always good to check in and see what's working best for you and your body. Another point that I'd like to discuss is just because our bodies can survive on ketones on a long-term basis perpetually, does that mean that they should? I think this is a, a good question to pose and a good question to discuss. So yes, our bodies are very intelligent. Yes. Glucose is its number one easily used, readily formed energy source. And so if that's not available, we have backup mechanisms, likely from evolutionary times when food was scarce. And we can use ketones, again, as a backup mechanism. Additionally, ketones aren't this magically formed thing from a restricted diet. Sometimes our bodies will produce ketones if overnight while we sleep for example they may keep us fueled or if we have a period of intense physiological exercise or activity and our glycogen stores are depleted our body might use some ketones so it is a naturally occurring state and our bodies can switch from using glucose to using ketones and this is kind of where my opinion and my personal preference lies that it makes a lot of sense to me from an adaptive standpoint to be able to use both, for the body to efficiently use glucose when it's available and for the body to be able to use ketones when it's not readily available. And this is something that both um, that many keto experts use, or um, health practitioners who use a keto approach, talk about. Um, one of them is Leanne Vogel. She has a blog called The Healthful Pursuit, and she's also written a book called The Keto Diet. And what she talks about is that when she tried to implement a classic keto diet, she would engage in binges. But what she saw was that when she binged on carbohydrate-rich foods like sweets and the like her body composition actually improved. That is, she gained muscle mass and her body fat decreased. And so she was really curious about this. And so what she decided to do was implement what she calls carb ups. And you may have heard of this as cyclical keto or targeted keto. And it's basically the approach of incorporating some carbohydrate sources, either throughout the week or a couple meals a week or um, pre, post, or during workout. There's a lot of different ways to implement it, but bottom line, you're incorporating some dietary carbohydrate. And what she found was this actually helped her body um, get out of a hypothyroid state to heal adrenal issues, to um, have normal menstrual regulated functioning after years of not having a period, and also significantly decreased anxiety. So these are some things to consider if you have been trying a ketogenic diet but you're experiencing hormone imbalance or thyroid imbalance or stress and anxiety some carbohydrates could be beneficial in fact um, glucose which again the most readily formed source in our diet is from dietary carbohydrates is needed to convert um, inactive thyroid to the active form of thyroid hormone so we do have uses in the body for almost all natural foods in the diet Um, so this is something to consider Um, and then um, experts like Mark Sisson of the Primal Blueprint discusses an idea of finding a zone of carbohydrate um, intake that works best for you and this varies greatly from person to person and depends a lot on our genes and our ancestry Um, broadly stated the closer we are to the equator the higher Um, sources of dietary carbohydrate were readily available. And the further we move away from that, the lower the diet tended to be in dietary carbohydrate and higher it tended to be in fat. And what we haven't seen much of is diets that are both very high in carbohydrate and very high in fat. But the diet that is high in both is the standard American diet and processed foods. Um, So that's something to consider. And carb ups take this into consideration when increasing dietary carbohydrate dietary fats are decreased. So this works really well for some people. Also finding a range of carbohydrates works really well for people. And it's ultimately gonna be up to you and what feels best for your body at that time. It's important to take your whole lifestyle into consideration and to know that no one diet is going to be the magic fix for everything. It's gonna depend on sleep quality and rest and movement and quality of life and support systems. There's so many things to be considered. So I encourage you to to try things, to talk with your healthcare team and to not blindly follow trends, but to become informed about when these things may serve you, when they may not. And if it feels like it's not serving you, to ask questions or to drop it and try something else. And, um, I'm hoping that this video serves you. I'm hoping that you got some clarity, both in how our body processes foods, understanding that ketogenesis is actually a normal physiological state in the body, and so is the metabolism of glucose. Both are beneficial, both are necessary to some extent, and um, people are very individual. That's it for now. Hope this video serves you. Thank you so much.